Good morning, young people. I am very glad you're here and uh, very excited for what God is doing in our midst. And uh, I am here this morning. Are you? Oh, man, I was up late last night. Um, I'm tired. Is anybody else a little bit tired here today? Boy, I tell you, and this is just the beginning of the school year, right? <laughs> we haven't even hit the nine-week block yet. Oh, boy. I'm, wait, I can't be that Greek teacher anymore, right? The old Bosler, somebody mentioned to me, and they said, I don't even, uh, I must be on the other side. I didn't take old Bosler Greek, you know? And so for all of you that did, I want to fulfill what I said on Sunday night, and I apologize. I repent in dust and ashes for my attitude uh, for, and in all seriousness, I, to be perfectly honest with you, um, if there's anybody that was in my old Bosler Greek, and, uh, and they felt like I had a, a bit of an edge to me. I want you to know that's not the desire of my heart. And I don't want to hurt anybody, to be honest with you. And uh, I love you young people. And uh, I really believe that God has some unbelievable, unbelievable things for every last one of you. Uh, coming up here in the days ahead, years ahead, the decades ahead, God, and again, you hear it so much. Right? Somebody even said recently, you know, you hear it so much, cliche, whatever. But man, God's going to do something great in the young people in this room, through the young people in this room, through you. That's not a reason to get a big head, okay? It's frankly a reason to humble yourself in the dirt because you don't deserve to have God use a single one of you, and neither do I. This actually has something to do with what I want to speak about here this morning. Uh, if you could turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and as you're turning, I want to say a few things. I actually want to give some balancing thoughts on last night's message. You know, um, no matter how much you qualify and clarify and try to strike a balance in something, I, I think sometimes your burden screams louder than your attempts to clarify. I think you probably tell my burden, right? I want you to walk with God. I want you to walk with God. But you know, in the process, I think in hindsight, I, I realize, you know, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to think that the mentors in your life are unimportant. They are very important. I'm so thankful for the people that have poured their lives into me. I think of my mom. 16 years old, I was a rebellious teenager. Mom marries the guy of her dreams. Okay? She'd been a missionary to Africa. My dad was a widower, marries the guy of her dreams. And unfortunately, along with a package came a rebellious 16-year-old. Right. And she stepped in and her example is so unbelievable. It has impacted me in ways that I am still discovering here to this day. She didn't necessarily just come in guns a blazing and shoot at every issue in my life. She prayed for me. She loved me. And those two things did so much for me. Honestly, when I think of the balance of mentorship, I think of my mom. I think of my dad in so many different ways. And frankly, when I've come here, there are individuals here that have poured themselves into me, that have had hard conversations with me. Can you imagine having a hard conversation with me? I can't stand this whole thing that I'm intimidating, okay? I can't stand that. I am made out of flesh and blood just like the rest of you. And, and frankly, I, I want to be approachable because frankly, that is the wisdom that's from above. It's easy to be entreated, right? And um, I, that's what I want here in, in my life. I, I want to be real. And to be honest with you, one of the reasons why I try to tell stories about myself is not to make me look better. If it's anything, it's to take the expectation down a notch and to show you I'm a bag of bones 
made of flesh, just like all of you. And I am so helped by people that are transparent like that in the pulpit. I value that so much. And so I, I want you to understand that even regarding what I mentioned last night in the Thessalonians and Paul and his influence on the Thessalonians, yes, he was removed, but you know what? Paul didn't give up. He continued to do everything he could. Unfortunately, in the context of a message, you don't have time to say everything that you would like to say. He wrote those two letters, good night. That was striving to make a difference in their lives. Even when he couldn't get to them, he sent ambassadors in his place to come and to, uh, to strengthen them, to establish them. You find throughout all the churches, the people that he led to Christ, first and second Corinthians, oh boy, those people hated his guts and yet he was glad to spend and be spent for them. Paul's an unbelievable model of mentorship. My point last night was not in any way to diminish the importance of mentors in your life. But I just got to say, you know what? If you go out soul winning on Netcasters, I think Netcasters is an outstanding example of really what the burden in my heart was. Guess what? Day one, your mentor leads, right? Day one, he teaches, he preaches, he gives the gospel. And guess what? As you go, slowly but surely, you do it. And you know what? If you've come with me, you will know I really like to talk and I really like to give the gospel. And sometimes it's hard to get this mentor to shut up. Okay? And I've had to learn sometimes I actually do need to pull back so that the person that I'm trying to get to learn how to give the gospel so they can do it. So just catch my heart here. That's my burden. That is my desire. I think you all understand no one would have a violin lesson and have the teacher do all the playing. That would be dumb. Okay? That would definitely not work, and I'd want my money back if that's what was happening, right? And um, so just understand, my only point is that transfer hasn't happened until the disciple's doing it himself. That is our philosophy. That is our passion. And I really believe everyone who, who at least caught my balance would jump up and down about that because that is what I believe New Testament ministry is all about. And I also need to clarify one other thing, and I am actually going to take a couple minutes on this, on the matter of one's own personal responsibility before God. I don't want you to go out the wrong window on this. And actually, this is my burden for this message today, but I'm going to give just a little bit of preliminary information here at the beginning just to make sure that we're clear on what I believe God's heart is in the Bible on this matter. Um, in Numbers chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. Um, Kadesh Barnea happened, right? The children of Israel were promised, hey, go, I'll help you. And they didn't do it. Right? Ten spies rebelled against God. They gave a false report. Yet Joshua and Caleb, um, they gave a faith-filled report. Right? And what ended up happening? People believed the ten, uh, the ten spies instead of the faith-filled report, and things went off the rails. Right? Um, families, individuals, leaders, everyone was speaking against the name of the Lord, speaking against the leader. Right? that had been placed in their midst, Moses. And what happened is you had a rebellion. And the thing that I think is very interesting to me in Numbers 14, verses 26 and following, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with his evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. And here's some very kind in measured words, right? Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. 
Doubtless he shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell there and save, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And here we find just a very interesting observation here that there at the time of the rebellion, there were people who rebelled against God, right? They had their narrative, their list of things that they were trying to say. And I would imagine that moms and dads and leaders and so on, they all went along with this faithless narrative, right? And you know what also happened? I'm sure moms and dads, they talk about it around the dinner table. That is a great danger when moms and dads undermine what God is trying to do through loose lips and just talking. It's a tough thing and it kills churches. But you know, there in that place, it's interesting to me, I am sure teenagers, the young people, the children there probably went along with mom and dad, right? Oh yeah, mom and dad. That's right. We need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back to Egypt, right? Stop calling me. Do not disturb. There we go. All right. You know, hey, I want to go back to Egypt. We need to go back to Egypt. Let's rebel against Moses and let's go back to Egypt. And you found this whole mindset here of let's go back to Egypt. And you know what? Everybody except for a few people rebelled against the Lord. But who was held accountable? Those who were 20 years old and upward. Apparently those who were 19 and younger were not held accountable. They were just following their parents, right? And an interesting observation that I find from this text is that I, I really do believe that there comes a time and an age in life. There's a period of time where, frankly, you just need to do what your parents tell you to do. You know what? In my teenage years, I just needed to obey my dad. I didn't need to seek the Lord about it. I just needed to obey my dad. You know what? My kids are at the table. If they ever pull it, well, let me pray about it. They never have done that. But you know what? They just needed to obey. But there comes a point in time. There comes a point in everyone's life where an individual will bear their own responsibility and the consequences of their own decision. And when that time comes, to say that you were just following your parents or your leaders is not good enough. I'm not telling people to be rebels. But I'm telling you, there comes a point when you do need as I mentioned last night, bear your own burden. In fact, it's interesting in, later on in Numbers in chapter 32, verses 11 and 12, it says, uh, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. You see this personal responsibility to wholly follow the Lord on your own two feet is uh, what is called individual soul liberty. And it's one of the core Baptist distinctives that separates biblical churches from unbiblical ones. I want to give you just a couple quotes here briefly just to clarify what I meant and some of, I think, of balancing thoughts here on this. This is one quote uh, about this. Every individual, whether a believer or an unbeliever, has the freedom to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right in the religious realm. Soul liberty asks the believer to accept responsibility for his own actions and not try to force anyone else to do or believe anything contrary to his own conscience. However, this liberty is not a justification for disobeying God. The believer must still act according to the principles of Scripture 
and honor the doctrinal position of the Bible-believing Baptist church to which he belongs. Uh, another man said this about this. Baptists have long had a long-term determination to adhere to the biblical doctrine that they call individual soul liberty. Church history verifies that Christians have died for this principle. The teaching that individuals are sovereign in matters of faith is one that Baptists will not compromise. The individual soul is answerable to Almighty God and to Him alone. This precludes or prevents giving up that independency to a pope, a priest, a system, an organization, a convention, a fellowship, an association, or any other human being. None of these are given the authority to interpose anything whatsoever between the individual believer and God concerning any matter of faith. This doctrine springs from the many examples in church history where the independency of the believer was stifled and sometimes even forbidden. Under the rule of Constantine, Roman law demanded that all people in the Roman Empire become Christians. The result of this law was forcing Christianity upon the masses by infant baptism and a meaningless profession by adults. Accordingly, the Dark Ages are a testimony to the absolute failure imposed on believers when the church begins to dictate whatever truth it deems necessary to force all members to conform. Not only is Roman Catholicism guilty of this, but so are many of the mainline Protestant denominations. Yet even a historical biblical doctrine as this, which is one in the acrostic of Baptist, I am a Baptist by conviction, I trust you are as well, we are Baptist, College of Ministry. Yet this doctrine has its potential downfalls, right? The same author that I just read had this to say about the potential downfalls of this doctrine. That being said, here's the quote. However, there is another side to this issue and one that I fear may be a greater problem, especially in our day and in the hearts of those on the younger end of the spectrum. That problem is pride that comes out of a rebellious heart. Another quote said this of the potential downfall of this. He said, one way that soul liberty is perverted is that individuals may see themselves as not subject to any kind of discipline, teaching, or persuasion. It's easy to develop a just me and my Bible attitude where one refuses to acknowledge anyone else's influence. Such a person may drop out of church altogether because he refuses to be taught or led. Believers must submit to the Bible and to legitimate spiritual leadership from pastors and others. Believers must seek to balance their own personal spirituality with the requirements of church authority. To refuse such leadership and teaching is to pervert the doctrine of individual soul liberty. It is this pride. It is this pride. And its unwillingness to be led that I want to speak about here this morning. First Peter 5, I told you to turn there. I believe this passage gives the biblical balance on this matter of individual soul liberty and the problems that can arise from a perversion of it. On the one side here, we're going to see Peter speaks of the need for oversight and yet restraint in that oversight. Beginning in verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Again, this is Paul, who's an elder, a pastor, speaking to other elders, other pastors. And he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Here we see the responsibility to minister, to mentor, to teach, to preach, to persuade other individuals to take the words of the word of God and to hold those that you're preaching to, to obey what thus saith the Lord. 
But he goes on and he says, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The motives of the elder is as important as anything else here. But notice in verse 3, he says, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. D. Edmund Hebert in his commentary on this section says the third pair, it's talking about pair of admonitions here, not lording it over those entrusted to you, he says, implies that they did exercise a real authority in the congregations. And, and forgive me, this is going to be a lengthy quote. I want him to say it and not me. He says, the subtle danger was the temptation to misuse that authority. The use of as implies the assumption of a position that was not proper. The compound verb pictures the scene. A simple verb uh, of uh, uh, to control here means to control, rule, be the Lord or master of. The preposition kata or, or down, forgive me, I'm just reading the commentary here, indicates intensity and depicts a heavy-handed use of authority for personal aggrandizement that manifests itself in the desire to dominate, accompanied by a haughty demand for compliance. Jesus directly condemned such an abuse of authority among his followers. The tragic impact of such an attitude is illustrated by the account of Diotrephes in 3 John 9 and 10, quote, if church governor, oh no, this is a quote from someone else, if church governors add to or subtract from the word of God, they make themselves lords over the consciences of others. Genuine rule in the church is an administration of Christ's lordship by his willing servants. Church leaders are designated as those standing before or those leading or guiding, but not those being lords. Those subjected to that abuse of authority are designated as those entrusted to you. The noun means a lot. That is an apportion, something assigned to you, and the expression suggests responsibility. In other words, mentors have a responsibility to you. God has assigned the various portions of his precious possessions to their personal care. The elders were not to think that they could do with their allotted portions as they pleased. That figurative reference to the local churches would have been readily understood by Peter's Gentile readers since in classical Greek the term was used to designate an allotment of land assigned to a citizen by civic authorities. But the word but there, by contrast, introduces the elders' true relation to the people, but being examples or in samples of the flock or patterns becoming to the flock. Instead of domineering lords, they were to be models whom their people could follow. Here's a quote here. All in leadership positions in the church should realize that the requirement to live a life worthy of imitation is not optional. It is a part of the job challenging though such responsibility may be. As spiritual shepherds, they were to lead, not drive. As Athanasius said, the life should command and the tongue persuade. Here we find a biblical balance on this matter. They are to lead, not Lord. That is something I think all of us who will be Lord willing one day, I mean, I trust you are right now mentors and really the direct application here, men, one day you'll be pastors and leaders and ministries. It's important to recognize that your leadership and your authority has its limits, limits set by God, not by any man, not by any preacher. They're set by God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even though Peter balances this matter of authority and the realm of responsibility of the elders, the church leaders, the mentors, I think he realizes that that balance can go sideways very quickly. I can tell you the great burden of my message here are the verses that I'm about to read here this morning. This is my burden for you students of Baptist College of Ministry that you balance this properly and that you not go out, as Dr. Jim says, the wrong window. Look at the next verse here. In verse number five, it says, Likewise, ye younger, 
submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you, young people, individual soul liberty in the hands of the proud will result in rebellion, resistance by God, and destruction. I want to speak to you this morning about humility and revival. I want to give you the other side to what I talked to you about here tonight because frankly, young people, I really believe that some of you last night heard my message and because of the wicked pride in your heart, you jumped up and down and was like, woohoo, that's great, I love that. Uh Uh-huh, I can do whatever I want to do. I don't want anybody telling me what to do and I want you to know that is wrong, that is sin and that very pride will be your undoing. It will destroy you, young people. See, this balance doesn't work without humility. This balance of the fact that you have a responsibility before Almighty God to hear His voice, to obey His commands, whether anyone around you sees it or says it or not. But listen, young people, if you do not couple that immense responsibility with humility, it will destroy your life and burn down the church of God. Catching my heart here this morning. A couple observations here. Number one, God expects a submissive attitude. God expects a submissive attitude. Um, in, in the book of James, chapter 4, don't turn there for sake of time, verses 6 and 7, he says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, right? But giveth grace unto the humble. And right on the heels of that, he says, What? Submit yourselves. Submission goes hand in hand with humility. And I would argue, too, submission is the direct opposite of pride. Pride, a proud person, is a fool. Um, I want to tell you, you know, years ago when we were at a victory conference, it was a very special time to me. I remember Charlie Kittrell was going to be getting up and speaking at that victory conference. And I remember I had heard someone mention to me in the lobby that sometimes Charlie Kittrell asks all the preachers in a congregation whether they've got tracts in their pocket. I didn't have a tract in my pocket, and I thought, I don't want to get caught flat-footed. So I went right before the session. I grabbed some tracts off of the track rack, put them in my pocket, and I came into the preaching. And you know what? God was there. In that session, God's hand was there. And I remember partway through, he asked if there were tracks in the pocket. And I thought, got me the tracks in my pocket. Got me the tracks. I'm good to go. He asked everybody to stand who had tracks in their pocket. And I stood to my feet. I was such a cheater. And I was so proud. I remember the Spirit of God fell on that room. He came down on that room. 
And I remember when he came down on that room, God humbled me to the dust. I remember being right in that middle aisle, right there, right next to where George is sitting on my face in the prayer meeting that followed that thing. And I remember God shredded me inside for the pride that made me want to stand up even though I didn't normally carry tracks in my pocket for me to put on airs and pretend like I was something that I wasn't. And God shredded me there that day. And that was a moment I will never forget of God bringing me to humility and young people I want you to understand until you're willing to let God humble you and drive your face into the carpet and into the dirt you will never see revival in your life and you'll never have the proper balance this matter of bearing your own burden you won't get it your submission is revealed in your relationships with one another, he says, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. I believe what he's saying here is if you are clothed with humility, you won't have a problem doing what you're asked to do. You won't have a problem following leadership. In fact, there is a mutual submission that will occur within the body of Christ that will be supernatural. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, young people. Here's the thing. Proverbs 10, verse 8 says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. See, here's the thing. Pride in your heart will cause you to not want to yield to anyone. Pride in your heart will cause you to be uncorrectable before anyone. But humility, which is wisdom, is willing to be corrected. One commentator said this about that proverb, the fool is so full of himself that instead of having the capacity to accept wisdom, he dangerously prattles his own clever opinions, which are devoid of true wisdom and scorched like fire. By his undisciplined words, he entangles himself and comes to ruin. Listen, young people, I want you to know you think you're all that, a bag of chips plus tax. You think nobody's going to tell you what to do because you've got it all figured out. You think that your leadership in the dorm and your leadership in the dean's office and your leadership in the academic office is a bunch of bozos with no, with their head not screwed on straight. Listen, friends, I'll tell you what, you won't listen to a word they say. You won't hear a word. They won't, you won't truly internalize and you will not benefit from anything they're trying to pour into your life. And I want you to understand that pride will bring you to ruin. It'll not only deprive you of receiving what God wants you to receive in these days, that pride will destroy your life. That uncorrectability. Listen, I know what it's like. Maybe you think you got an angle on something and you think you're right and so you and the dorm guys, you just prattle it off and you just say, well, I think so and so and such and such just isn't balanced. Well, you know, I think this and I think that and you prattle and you talk and you burn the dorm to the ground. That pride will destroy you. The devil will see sure to it. Listen, young people, I want you to know I did not preach what I preached last night to give you talking points for your stupid pride in your private little conversations when you're bench pressing stuff and just shooting your mouth off with the other guys. I didn't give you preach what I preached last night to give you girls an excuse to say, oh, you know, Mr. Posler's whatever, whatever. I didn't say that to you. I said it because I want you to own your own walk with God and I want you to be leaders in God's cause and I want you to follow Jesus with all of your heart. But your pride is going to take what was intended for good and pervert it for evil. You know, we're talking about humility here. God 
expects a submissive attitude. Submission comes when we are humble. Did you know that a humble person is a joy to work with? It's not like pulling teeth. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Once again, we find here that balance. There are individuals that are trying to guide and direct your life. And listen, work with them, people. Work with them. Don't be a constant burr in their saddle. Don't be a constant person that's just constantly, constantly a troublemaker. And someone, every time you turn around, you find out, good night, they're making things difficult. Listen, yes, that person is accountable to God. That leader is going to give an account to God for how they handle you. But I'll tell you what, you can make it happy or horrible for them. I've had guys on my team that are just so easy to work with. They love the Lord. They love the Lord. Oh, yeah, they listen to the voice of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, they're determined to follow God no matter what. But you know what? When I ask them, hey, listen, guys, this is going to be tough. We're going to have to set up here tonight. I wish we could do it tomorrow, but God has given us these awesome school opportunities, and so it might be a little bit of a late one, guys. I'm so thankful that I don't have guys that are like, oh, come on, Mr. Bosler, or, well, why don't you come out here and help with that, Mr. Bosler, or why do we have to do it now, Mr. Bosler? I'm so thankful I've got guys. I've had so many times guys that are like, okay, sure, yeah, absolutely. You know why they're a joy to work with? It's because they're humble. Humility is the farthest thing from some of you. I'm not saying this because I'm upset. I'm saying this because, listen, this is where the breakthrough happens. Your pride, your pride will keep you out of the proper balance of this matter of individual soul liberty. It will take what God intended for unbelievable good and development And it'll turn it into a trial for you and your leaders. It'll destroy your life. Submission is a willingness to be taught. It's a willingness to be corrected. It's a willingness to be led. Yes, it's a two-way street. Yes, there is mutual submission. By the way, this isn't just something with your leaders. This is something that happens in the dorm. Guess what? There's all kinds of back and forths constantly going on. Uh, Hebert said also about this, true humility is grounded in recognition of our need for independence upon God. And he quoted another author, recognition of our absolute dependence on God inevitably colors our image of ourselves and others. Only those blind to the reality of God could be deluded into the myth of their own self-sufficiency or into treating others without respect or compassion. God expects you to yield to one another, to have a a, a good working relationship with one another. And you know the the proverb where there's no pride, there's no contention. I didn't get it right, whatever that one is, all right? Only by pride cometh contention, right? Because pride doesn't want to sacrifice anything for someone else. Pride just wants what it wants, Thin line between pride and selfishness, right? God resists pride in all of its manifestations. Um, One author said this, A fool is a man who is dominated by his pride. Andrew Murray said this in the book, Humility and so pride, the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. It was when the now fallen angels began to look upon themselves with self-complacency that they were led to disobedience and were cast down from the light of heaven into outer darkness. Likewise, it was when the serpent breathed the poison of his pride, the desire to be as God, into the hearts of our first parents that they too fell from their highest state into the wretchedness to which all humankind is sunk in heaven and earth 
Pride or self-exaltation is the very gateway to hell. As I've said, pride refuses correction. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Remember, a proud person is a fool. Pride rejects help from God or man. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, no God. God, I don't want you to tell me what to do. God, I don't need your help. God, I'm going to pretend like you do not exist. Proverbs 23, verse 9, Speak not into the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. See, pride rejects help from God or man. Pride rebels against any kind of leadership or limitation. Proverbs 18, verse 2, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. See, the reference point of the proud fool, of the person who's unwilling to truly be submissive and be clothed in humility is one, all they care about is what's on the inside. All they care about is what they think. All they care about is what they want. Their heart is what runs the show. And your heart is wicked, young people. Your heart is wicked. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, Proverbs 28, 26 tells us. I'm going to tell you what, the reason why some of you don't want to submit The reason why you look for every theological reason, every argument, you search out sermons and articles on the internet to justify for yourselves the right to do what you want to do. The reason why you are unwilling to humble yourself is because you're proud. Like even the garden, you think that all restrictions are bad and then everyone trying to limit you is the enemy. That's the very pride, as we saw in Andrew Murray's quote, that caused the human race to fall. God resisted that kind of pride from the very beginning and he has not stopped. Listen, young people, I want you to understand pride will kill you. It will destroy you. It will hold back the presence of God in a room. It will hold back the power of God in your life. It will ruin, ruin, ruin you. I say this as a man who is made of flesh, right? I'm telling you. Pride is deceptive, and I'm not claiming to be devoid of it. I'm not claiming that I'm immune to it. So I just want to make this very clear. I'm in the same boat with you all, right? I'm pointing to myself. As long as all of you, when I say y'all, I mean me too, right? Okay? But I want you to understand, young people, this text, you can't take these texts out of the Bible. God says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And humility is what strikes the balance. But I also think it's interesting, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I really think this humility needs to begin between you and the Lord. That humility needs to begin between you and the Lord, and you need to be broken, trashed, face Ground into the carpet, admitting admitting God before thee and thee only have I sinned. God, my pride is an offense to your nostrils. The proud look, you hate God. And the pride in my heart that is causing me to rejoice in a perverted way at what I heard last night. It's what's going to ruin you. It's what's going to cause God to resist you. God resisteth. The proud. I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to go out in ministry with God resisting me. Because you know what? I need God and so do you. I don't want to go out soul winning with God resisting me because I need God. Nothing I do can cause an ounce of spiritual good to happen in anyone's life. And when I am proud, when I am unyielding, when I am unworkable, when I am stuck, 
stubborn and sassy. That's when I'm useless. Flesh profiteth nothing. Without, without God, you can do nothing. The good news is that God wants to exalt you. God blesses a humble attitude. He says at the end of verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You young people, I want you to know God wants to bless your life. He wants to use you in unbelievable ways, and he will. He will if you humble yourself. Don't fall for the lie of Satan. He's been telling it for a long time. He's looking for which students he can devour. He is prowling this student body. And he wants you because he wants to destroy you. I'm telling you, young people, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Are you responsible before God? Absolutely. Absolutely you are. You know what, some of you on the younger end of the spectrum, honestly, probably just need to do what you're told. There's going to come a time in your spiritual journey where, yes, you need to seek the Lord. But if you do that in pride, it's all over, man. It's all over. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning? In a moment, I want the piano to come, a piano player to come to the piano. But you know what, I really feel like we need to take a moment and we need to get before the Lord. I know we got a session coming up here in just a second. But I really do believe that like God did for me in grinding my face in the carpet, I think God wants to grind some of our faces in the carpet, not because he's upset with us, but because he loves us and he wants to use us. Listen, young people, I've been very transparent and very forthright with you here this morning because I can't stand elephants in the room. I like to shine a spotlight on them. And I love you. And I want you to succeed. And I believe in you. But you need to humble yourself. So here's what we're going to do. Stand to your feet, please. Stand to your feet if God has spoken to you. As the piano plays, I want you to come to the front and I want you to do business with God.